if you have even a small uh, doubt about that person, if you got feeling says there's something wrong in their answer, better to not hire. You take notes of what's important to that person, right? Right. And then you have to leverage those items to convince them to pick you against others. Hello and welcome to the Gross Profit Podcast. My name is James Kennedy. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Procurement Express. We help your company manage their company spend with magical features, but that's not what I'm here to talk to you about today. I'm joined by Mickey Mero, which is going to pronounce that name better later on. Um, Mickey and I get to know each other because um, Mickey is the longest surviving paid search agency that we have worked with at Procurement Express. Uh, he does an excellent job with his team. We've really enjoyed working with them now for a, a couple of years. But I wanted to get him on the podcast to talk about something a little bit different, which is his success and how come he's able to put a team together that can actually meet the needs of their customers. It's very important when you're running a, an agency, a service agency, I guess, and it's, it's something that we could all get better at. So Mickey, before we get into that, you're very welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, background in the business, just to fill people in. Sure, sure. Thanks, James, for having me. And you did great, Mickey Mereu. So very, very close, not that uh, easy. Um, and fingers crossed with our, for our collaboration with uh, Procurement Express, of course. I'm probably one of the tallest digital marketers in the world. Uh, you don't know that. It's a fun fact. I'm almost like two meters tall. And that makes me uh, closer to high performance, this kind of things, you know. So uh, Jokes aside, I run uh, Midsummer Agency. Uh, we are a team of uh, 11, uh, well, 12 plus me, so 12 in total. And uh, we mostly help e-commerce and software as a service um, from North America and Europe, basically making more money uh, online, whether that means more sales or more clients or leads uh, through paid ads, uh, conversion rate optimization and analytics. These are our main uh, service uh, areas. Can you tell us, like, how did you get into this business? Where did you start and how long have you been in business? Yeah, sure. So I'm in the industry since uh, 2009. I've been working uh, both client side, uh, freelancing and agency side over the past, wow, 14 years now. Yeah. And uh, I've been living in, in Italy, Belgium, China, UK. What I like of this world is like the dynamics, the excitement of working with many different uh, aspects of the marketing. Basically, uh, during the years, I've been playing with pretty much every uh, type of industry, markets, language, business models, company side. So after this experience, I was like kind of feeling... Uh, missing uh, what I'm passionate about, which is um, my uh, own place of birth, which is Sardinia. It's an island. I practice bird fishing, free diving. So it was kind of tough to do that in UK. So I decided to, to get back and start uh, restarting freelancing, basically, uh, from, from where I live um, with a different uh, approach. I wanted to work more with international clients. And because there were not great places to work in Sardinia, like no large agencies or marketing uh, companies like that, 
I decided to, to create my own, basically, and start my, my own business. That's interesting. So I guess the big advantage of building your own business is you, you build a lifestyle. Sometimes it's a dirty word, I think, a lifestyle business. The people, VCs, talk about it in a kind of disparaging way. But um, that means, I guess, you get to decide the culture of your company, who you hire, who you wants to be around you. And for sure, pretty quickly, like if you're a technician like me, I was a programmer, like I used mm -hmm. to do all the work. But then it doesn't take very long before, you know, you need it when you get a bigger team. Suddenly you're just trying to do work through other people, which is not something I was taught about in college. I remember, I don't know about you at the beginning, I was... I don't want to say picking people up off the street, but like anyone who would work with me, I was like, you're in, you know, and weirdly, <laughs> shout out to Mariska on our team. She was the very first employee. And I think it's fair to say she's one of our best ever employees. So I thought, oh, this hiring thing is easy. Like all you do is just pick people off off the street. They are automatically amazing. And then you're off to the races. Now, subsequently, not calling out any names, I found that not necessarily to be true. So what was your experience in your early hiring experience? What went well? What wasn't working for you? What made you want to get better at this? skill so it, it wasn't uh too bad at the beginning uh, because like I, I always have you know processes checklists and um, and I, I read a lot so I, I kind of study that because I, I know higher manager uh, I was just starting out at, at some point I started to need help because the freelancing gig was growing and I I, I need help to to find uh you know more people to serve clients and to grow the the business overall so the challenge in the consultative business, as you said, were, you know, chicken and egg kind of problem. People and clients are the two main components. And on the people side, because of the type of agency I had in mind, um, I wanted to uh, find the right people, uh, similar to what uh, another methodology uh taught us, the EOS that I know you guys are also following, finding the right people is extremely important to make the machine uh, work. So the beginning, again, it was like, okay, let's do uh, a practical test to these guys. Let's see how they are, you know, creating ads, doing some some basic mm -hmm. tasks in, in the industry. We always had this hard skill component because it's very technical, as you said. Mm -hmm. So if you don't even pass that step, it's a no go for sure. And then there was a, a cultural fit. So one thing I learned in my past experience was that when I wasn't aligned with the culture, mission, and vision of the company, at some point, the magic disappeared. Like, it cannot work. But again, because we always audit our own process, we always try to improve to get better. At that point, um, yeah, I, I made this new methodology uh, that seemed interesting to explore. And so I started... Uh, reading this book. But before you get on to that, let me uh, yeah. ask you a controversial question. Mm. So, you know, you didn't read this book for fun. You stubbed your toe on something. You know, something happened, probably painful that you went, no, this mm. is, this is, uh, this can't go on. So what was the moment that made you realize, no, I've got to change my approach? I'm not 100% sure we had some of this type of event. Most of the time when uh, we introduce new process for whatever department in the agency, we use a, a like the MVP approach. So we develop a very small version of the, of the, of the process. We test it. And if we see early uh, results, we 
you know, we, we grow mm -hmm. the machine. So we keep it adding uh, elements of this methodology into ours. Mm -hmm. And we saw it worked. So we said, why not roll out the, the full process, even though it's still it's adapted to, uh, to, to our context? Um, maybe there was some unconscious uh, sort of pain <laughs> that I had, which, uh, you know, uh, pushed me to, to, to make a change there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't recall a specific, you know, kind of uh, change okay. point from one day to another. Uh, yeah, or maybe I just forgot it, which is okay. Well, uh, okay, interesting. It, 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 we acknowledged before this, this is a sensitive mm -hmm. topic to be talking about on a podcast, right? I'll tell you why I was interested to talk about this. We all, you and I left a job in a big company so that we didn't have to work in a, in a big company. And weirdly, what we go and do, we build a company, you get successful. And what does it start looking like? The big company you just left. You're going to have a company culture, whether you design it or not. My business partner, Rich, pushed me. I primarily would do the hiring. I tell you what stubbed my toe on this. He said, James, you know, you're just kind of finding people and you're bringing them in and you're not putting enough effort into it, you know? And every time I added someone to the team, it was a taking a big risk because it only takes one, you know, person who's misaligned to really damage the the whole organization. And I saw myself as I was hiring saying, listen, this is actually probably the most key skill I could have as a CEO is because I'm now I'm just trying to assemble the team. So that's why I'm interested because I see the alternative of, you know, play companies like you guys, you deliver great service. I'm interested to hear what we're going to talk about now, but I'm guessing it's about the alignment component where you just have the right sorts of people together who have the same similar values. Tell me about the book. You're burying the lead here. Which book opened your yeah, eyes when it came yeah. to fighting? No yeah. relation with the book at all. Just a full disclaimer. Um, it's this guy. I have it on my desk. The Who. Uh, yeah, it's called Who. Solve your number one problem. It says... The issue is not what to do or how to do or when to do it, is who do it. I randomly uh, ask my network to suggest books, uh, usually at the beginning or end of the year. Um, and this was one uh, in the list uh, back in uh, beginning of last year or yeah, or two years maybe ago. And so, uh, again, as I was saying, we were not doing things wrong. So I, I went against one of the principles I like, like don't try to fix what's not broken. Our hiring wasn't broken, but still we knew that there, were, uh, there was room to, to improve that. Um, so we moved from spending probably about total two, two hours in, in, in time for people that end up working with us, so hired. So for the full process, multiply that by all the candidates, of course, uh, to more than double the time invested mm. in in speaking with uh, with the people. Basically, the methodology is very scientific. There is a lot of data behind. They run tests. They tested this method with multiple uh, Fortune 100 CEOs, billionaires. There, which is why I, I said you need to adapt that to, the, to your context. We are not like a thousand people company that hires uh, hundreds and hundreds of people per year we need way less people than that but still the the, the, the principles are are the same and so the claim was you'll be hiring 90 percent of the time a players and save a lot of money because we know how much it costs 
bad higher. I'm not sure in, in, in Ireland, but Italy has pretty, uh, hopefully has pretty uh, strong and strict uh, rules for, for employers, which is good, but still the risk is a bit higher. And so it's it basically a framework. It starts from the, uh, the the actual job description and go through every step of the process, which includes like um, sourcing candidates, selecting candidates, selling to candidates. I'm very good at selling more than hiring. So that part I like most <laughs> than the others. Uh, and so basically it's about treating the people you hire like clients, investing a lot of time. The book comes with a, a set of templates and interviewed models where they suggest some exact word-by-word -word question to ask. We kept the, the test part. So we start with a practical Excel test with our candidates. Then now with ChatGPT, we probably need to uh, to review also that. Last year wasn't that, that uh, prominent. Full disclosure, I come up with a job description and I put it into GPT just to make it look nice. And then I see the candidates taking that, putting that into GPT and and replying yes. to the job, you know, which I'm actually not against because it's a fairly smart use of time. <laughs> yeah, still. <laughs> if you're looking for that type of candidate, that's already, you know, uh, kudos yeah, exactly. to them. But still, yeah, now our last hire in April, which means the big wave of ChatGPT was about to start. So uh, right. next, next hires, we probably need to refresh a little bit the process. Um, but yeah, again, what, what's interesting is that uh, you invest way more time. Basically, the book says that it, at the end of the process, it's like you've been working with that person for a year. Yeah. For the depth of the uh, conversation. Yeah. And so you start with, uh, uh, with um, it's called uh, who interview. So it's an initial 30 minutes chat where you uh, try to understand their career goals. Um, sorry, the screening interview, the first one. You start with mm. your career goals, um, what you're good, what you're bad at. So there's a lot of self-analysis uh, mm. for the candidate. And then we ask them uh, about like uh, their last five bosses, uh, how would they rate uh, them on a scale of one to ten, and there is a reason why you do specific questions like that because in the following steps, you use that information to uh, you know kind of double check what they are saying when you do something like a reference check. Right. Uh, there are some questions where you say, "What will your boss say when we call him?" At that specific moment, you say that he cannot lie; he cannot tell you mm -hmm. anything that is mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. This is just little things, really, because it's more complex than just questions. Let's talk numbers here. I'm uh, we're both conversion rate nerds here, so uh, let's talk about. Say we have a higher. Do you start off with a target like, okay, I'm going to look at 100 CVs, 30 CVs? Um, not really. This is something that is still using a, a voodoo process. Let's say, be, me, meaning that again, we don't need uh, huge numbers of yeah. people every year. We can be very selective. Like recent hire was one out of 200, approximately, applications. And then so, you know, either 200 applications, you'll pick what, say 40 for first screening interview? Mm, even 20. 20. Yeah, it's about 10%. Yeah, I'd yeah. say, yeah. One of the um, 
the aspects that is very interesting that says basically if you have even a small uh, doubt about that person, if you gut feeling says there's something wrong in their answer, better to not hire than yeah. hire. So just, you know, yeah. throw that candidate. Yeah. Just because, again, it's the principle of having the wrong people uh, on board that costs you. It's better to let an A player go than having a C player in your team. So yeah, one out of 200 uh, applicants. Um, something that is not in the book is obviously the, the tools and the other process that we developed. So we moved from you know LinkedIn, spreadsheets, LinkedIn ads for, for candidates, spreadsheets to some uh, you know tools that does the job, uh, have a pipeline, uh, out, automatic replies and other um, workflows. Otherwise, yeah, that couldn't be possible. And during these steps, you really dive deep on uh, the candidate uh, employment history. You ask specific questions for each position. And uh, yeah, it, it's surprising the amount of stuff that comes up. Uh, because like after the screen, there is a deep interview uh, called Who Interview that can last usually two hours. The book suggests up to a full day. And also that put people in a position where they start to feel being, you know, tired and stressed. So you can also test the aspect. We asked ourselves whether that would be too much of the time invested by the candidate mm-hmm. for maybe having a no thank you as a mm-hmm. final decision. So we were thinking of having some other type of incentive, uh, whether that's, you know, some Amazon, 200 Amazon credit for, especially for more senior. Uh, Even though that being invested in this process is also part of the type of people that we are, uh, we, we usually hire. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I sometimes we do paid pieces of work um, and how people deal with the money around that also tells me something sometimes. So yeah, it's an extra data point, like even just, you know, are they able to get me their PayPal? You know, like, is it, you know, how do they follow up or all of these things? It just gives you an extra piece. Absolutely. I'm in favor of paying people as well, because then it sets an expectation like this is a paid piece of work. I want to see what you do when you get paid, not when you're doing this as a quote unquote freebie or whatever, you know, like, yeah. remove any sort of excuse for not your best work. It's part of our culture to do things well, to respect people. People is very important. Yeah. It's very yeah. people centric, uh, small organization still. Um, so we appreciate those who uh, take the time. Depends on the market you operate, both in terms of industry, so the mm-hmm. competition, and also um, culture, meaning like where do the candidates come from? Okay, so so far we are, we've put up the ad that's taking us, say, two hours. Go through the CVs that's taking us two hours. We've done 10 hours of interviewing, probably another five hours of scheduling. So we're up to about 40 or 50 hours of work so far, just to get down to these, uh, what is it, five people you're going to do, spend two hours with each or up to a day? Yeah, well, the, the CV screen now is takes very very little time we also introducing some other automations there as you said like there are other aspects the little details like joining late a meeting or not being a bit rude 
during uh, an email reply. That's already a signal to us. And, and it's still cheaper than the money you might spend doing a bad hire. So it seems uh, cost-effective to us. Sometimes I like to think, well, how many hours have I spent on this task in order to know whether it has been done properly or not? So what I'm hearing is 40, at least 40 hours per hire. So that means you got to put that in your calendar to make sure you've done enough work on it, right? Yeah, which is why I I started to get help. Uh, and so I'm not doing that myself any longer. I just entered the process at some point in the process. Plus, as I said, we have this kind of uh, hiring waves one or two times a year. So you focus your energies there. Yeah. And the more uh, some aspects uh, also uh, get better and better, like for instance, you know, during um, writing job description is also, you know, branding sort of. The more you grow, the more you'll be attractive and the better candidates you start receiving. That's sure. what we saw. So it technically tends to decrease the amount of time you, you spend in uh, not fit uh, people. So let me ask you about this two-hour interview because it's intimidating me a little bit. I'm the sort of guy who runs out of cocktail conversation after about four minutes, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's quite intimidating for me to sit down and have to spend two hours of all. So how do you handle that? Are you a natural or are, are there techniques you use to keep the conversation going and make it useful? So we start with, uh, this is going to last two hours and their face is like, what? Um, <laughs> well, they know in advance when we book the, the, the time with them. Uh, so we ensure they have water, uh, <laughs> they need to go to the toilet sort of things <laughs> basics you know actually as soon as you start talking it goes extremely fast right so time flies you end up destroyed for sure very i mean it, it, it's pretty pretty long time um but end of the day you really really know uh a lot about the person uh, it's worth the time invested so far. We tested this process. We You can always play with the um, kind of limits uh, and uh, kind of conditions for which uh, a candidate moves to the uh, big uh, two hours interview. Because, mm -hmm. of course, uh, uh, if you have to hire three different uh, people altogether, uh, that's, that's tough. And that's when you probably uh, need to do another adjustment of the whole process. At some point mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that this is um, intended to be like the audience of this book seems to be more larger organizations let me mm -hmm. think that uh, it is still an investment like all the money goes to marketing i'm happy thanks for this uh, we are in the marketing industry but finally in an organization i also think that both retaining customers and people yeah is becoming crucial, at least in our industry, which is super competitive. Like even in the UK, I recall people literally could change work every three to six months. It was crazy how fast yeah. it went, all for you know having a promotion and career uh, progression. Makes makes sense from you know a career perspective but a brand that sees yeah. main point of contact changing every three to six months back to you know client service you need to explain again everything you need to restart from scratch and so on and so forth in fact from what i know after covid um even in the digital industry people is investing way a lot of money into uh retaining 
uh, people because again, even training and development, it costs a lot. So uh, maybe we'll just talk about that, uh, your strategy for retaining, because that's a big part of it, right? No point in getting this great stuff. You can't keep them. So you've got down to your last, sounds like three to five people you've done a deep dive on, if I'm not wrong, or, or is it only less than that that you would do the two-hour interview with? Is it just before you're pretty sure you want to make an offer that you invest at, or do you do it with, with multiple people? No, no, multiple people. I think we got uh, off, uh, pretty much, yeah, off of the people with this new methodology now. Only a couple of times we ended up with um, more than one final candidate because mm -hmm. what part of the process is also uh, when you are in the selection phase, you compare yeah. two or three people with uh, the more objective uh, way and scientific way possible. But yeah, you invest upfront uh, still on the two hours. Okay, so let's move to the next part, which I find is the most underestimated part, and I've definitely made this mistake in the past, is the offer, right? So hmm. when you've decided, okay, this is my girl or guy, what happens then? How do you make sure that they're actually going to accept having gone through all that effort? That's the sell selling part of the mm. of the process. So first of all, uh, in the previous steps, you already touch base some of the topics which you'll be using in the sell uh, phase. Uh, the, the the book says there are five Fs: uh, fit, family, freedom, fortune, and fun. So during these conversations. You take notes of what's important to that person, right? Right. And then you have to leverage those items to convince them to pick you against others. Obviously, we know that uh, when it's only um, salary uh, driven, at some point, something will not work. Mm. Uh, of course, that's pretty big part, pretty big component of the package. Okay. But it, uh, one of the questions we ask is the top three uh, reasons that will motivate you to choose your next career move. And uh, I don't know if it's about, you know, they don't tell you when you are face to face that money is important. But to us, it barely was mentioned in the top three. There was something okay. else. And so differentiate yourself on those and position yourself on those and you will again attra start attracting people that is uh, more uh, in line with with your way of working. So having a good career uh, about us page, uh, the description, uh, job description. We talk about that already. And so you leverage those uh, elements. Whether it's say development, you reinforce about the benefits that we have in the training program. We have a dedicated budget for development. Uh, we pay for you know conferences, this sort of thing. Family, I have a dog. Uh, working with us means that you have we have flexible time, so you will have plenty of time from working from home to you know mm -hmm. have your dog out for a walk. These kind of things. It's again selling, literally, marketing uh, to to people, uh, and it's a good way of doing it. I mean, I'm not lying. It's what it would be is just emphasizing the elements and the components that are important to them. Interesting you talk flexibility. For me, if I ask someone why they applied and they say it's a remote position, that's a red flag straight away for me. I understand people want flexibility, but we're on a 
we're on a mission here and there's a way we want to work and the work is really important. We want people who are bought in for what we're doing, not just, you know. Um, and, I, and my approach to that in terms of selling is from the very start in the job spec to be very clear about what your values are, like what you can get there. Like, you know, for the, at the very start, if you're attracting people who are interested in our style of working, and this comes back to EOS a little bit, like having your, your values out there, that makes it much easier when you get to this stage. And then when you talk about company values, well, like we do, I wait for that sort of spark in their eye when you see like, yeah, when I saw you have don't let anybody fail, for example, is a popular one for us. Is like you said, when I saw you had don't let anybody fail, I was like, yeah, that was really that you can see, you can see the emotion come out in it, you know. It's easier for me to identify whether they really are, you know, right for us. And also at this last phase, then I have heard it a couple of times where people are like, listen, I applied for this job because of this weird value you have, you know, I haven't seen that anyone else, or, you know, and mm -hmm. then they're for me, they're the people you want because then there's the alignment yeah totally i mean you know the right person uh, in the right seat if it's a wrong person there's no way to fix that so wow. the people component is on the values on the culture the uh, right uh, seat is more hard skills is like what, what what your job was going to be so that that's doable if it's you're not in the right seat in the right seat we might move you to some other area or we might create yeah. a position for you, you know, as long as you are uh, right, the right people. Back to what you mentioned before, the people copying your job description to um, chat GPT, and then, you know, there is a piece of the process that mentioned that. It says, like, basically, you don't have to talk too much about you before they talk about them, because there's this sort of parrot sort of uh, talking, mm -hmm. uh, copying, you know, trying to seem like uh, they are, uh, you know, yeah. uh, perfectly aligned. Um, we don't talk a lot about our values because we try to communicate our values in other components, but we do take it very seriously. We know our values and after screening what they said, we can say, okay, this is okay, this is okay, this is okay, this is very not okay. Trash. Right. Sometimes it's like a, you feel like a bad, you're just... But end of the day, it's for the sake of happiness of both. Even a person that is in the wrong place will not be at its maximum potential. I think it's you know what's interesting about this is you and I sounds like we're particularly lucky with our first hire, <laughs> uh, and it makes me wonder. Like, if I hadn't been that lucky, would anything else have happened? I like to believe it's all about me and Rich and how great we are, but I don't know. Like, yeah, uh, same. Without Mariska, I'm not sure. Well, we definitely wouldn't be where we are. No doubt about that. But I don't know if we'd be anywhere, I guess. And it may, maybe, maybe highlights the importance of a really, really great hire. We'll bury this at the end of the podcast so no one's going to hear it, right? So we touched briefly <laughs> at the beginning. We talked about failed hires, failed hire being one that doesn't work out after one in 10 times. But it's the superstars that make all the difference. Like, I think this is by my experience is you just have some people who are just, you know, in a different stratosphere, make a bigger impact. I think it's it's a power law or something. I don't know. Same. I don't know if it's due to the fact that we were at the very beginning. So less rumor, less uh, confusion, less things to think about. and. We, we could see things clearly, maybe, 
uh, because uh, the gut feeling component, it's something that I use a lot in every decision I make and for hiring as well. It cannot be 100% gut feeling. Again, this is very scientific. There are, you know, numbers. Uh, but still, uh, one uh, thing uh, that could be uh, explanation of that superstar number one, two, and three hires uh, could be the attribute to that, maybe. Who knows? All right. Uh, this has been super interesting, I have to say. Uh, I love nerding out with a business owner on these sort of things. Um, so it's been cool to chat. Thanks, Mickey. Sure. Thanks, James. It was yeah, amazing, amazing time. And keep doing this uh, awesome podcast. All right. Thank you very much for uh, listening. I hope you uh, were interested in or enjoyed that podcast and that discussion. Hopefully you're getting a vibe for the sort of uh, guests we're trying to get on the show. If you yourself are listening to this and are looking for a way to promote yourself, it's something that we do. We, we invest quite a lot in each episode. We push it out to thousands of people on our newsletter list. And now our YouTube and other channels are growing. So if you're interested in this business, and God bless you, you are strong enough to have got this far into this podcast talking about business. Uh, I would definitely love to have a conversation with you. So uh, you can reach out to me, uh, James.Kennedy at Procurement Express or at James Kennedy at Twitter. Uh, or if you can think of someone else you would recommend who might be a good guest for the show, I'd also be very interested in talking to you. So until the next time, thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.